Well, this week I purchased uh, a, a CD on hymns. It's by David Phelps. Uh, he, I think, put it out a couple of months ago. It's 2017, but you should grab a hold of that one. It's pretty incredible. Uh, but I say that to let you know that hymns are important. And they teach us so much about the Lord. And it's good to think about old times when we used to sit in Baptist churches and we just pulled a hymn book out. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And I, I'm thankful. Ortis hit the nail on the head. We should honor those who were led by the Spirit to write wonderful songs in the past. And we should also honor the Lord, uh, how He's gifted people to write really good songs in the future. So whether it's Charles Wesley or Chris Tomlin, we just we're thank God for men who can write really good songs. So praise the Lord. If you remember, we started our journey uh, in speaking of the role of the deacon by highlighting its importance in the book of Acts. How many of you remember that, right? We were preaching through Acts, and what a great book to begin uh, my first year here as your pastor and to think about what the church is and how it should operate. And since the church did not have, quote-unquote, an active deacon body, uh, I knew that once we got to Acts 6, we would address that situation. And so I think it's an exciting time in the life of our church to get those men plugged in to that particular role of service. Uh, Bruce Larson, in his book, Wind and Fire, points out some interesting facts about sand hill cranes. He says, these large birds who fly great distances across the continents have three remarkable qualities. First, they rotate leadership. No one bird stays out front all the time. Number two, they choose leaders who can handle turbulence. And then all during the time one bird is leading, the rest are honking in affirmation. I like that, don't you? Uh, We need uh, to understand that that's not a bad model for the church. We need leaders who can handle the turbulence. Uh, We need to be aware that all leadership should be shared, but we also need to be reminded that we need some people honking behind the scenes for encouragement along the way. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get you to see is that the deacon body is a necessity, according to the Word, to be able to share that leadership responsibility so that each individual called by God can devote the time that he needs to... uh, Keep the number one priority up front, which according to Acts 6 would be uh, the dispensing of the word to the congregation. So the office of deacon, we were reminded last week that's a spiritual office. Its discharge is a spiritual work, even if and when we organize the deacon ministry around specific tasks, which we will, uh, practical tasks, uh, the deacon must be known for being full of the spirit. And full of wisdom. So those are essential things. Which reminds, reminds us that the pastor's his role is just not a spiritual office. It is a spiritual office. But not just for him. It's a spiritual office for the deacon body as well. Not just uh, a group of men who are set aside to run the church. Or to make all the decisions. But one that has a spiritual task. And according to Acts 6. There is a call and the need for the office of deacon. And according to what the Word says, it was specifically given so that the priority could be for the apostles at that given time to preach the Word and to pray. Uh, I thought about another way I could bring Acts 6 to you. Remember, Acts 6.1 is a celebration of gospel-centered growth. 
church was growing. People were excited. God was adding to the church. And then we can expect some problems when the church grows. And the church growth problem came out of an administrative nightmare, trying to feed some grumbling women. Oh, no. <clears throat> I mean, yeah, administrative nightmare. The, the Hellenists, you know, were complaining because they were neglected. But it was a serious problem. It really was. And the, the, the problem was brought to their attention, and they just didn't sweep it under the rug and say, well, they'll get their food some way, or we'll try to do better. They took that seriously. And unfortunately... Sometimes when there's grumbling and murmuring, leadership can say, ah, phooey. You know, just let the, let the earth swallow them up like numbers, like the book of numbers, right? But they dealt with the problem. And in the end, uh, not only do we celebrate gospel-centered church growth and expect problems as the church grows, but we need to protect biblical priorities. Just another way to look at it. I could have preached that text this way, but if you'll notice, how was the biblical priorities protected? Well, they had a plan. They chose seven among the church who could take care of the administrative task. And they were all spirit-led, and they acted in love. They cared about the church. They protected the biblical principles of the preaching of the word, the unity of the church body. And again, I remind you that one of the deacon's primary calls is to protect the unity of the church. Not to cause division, but to protect the unity of the church. And then finally, we see growth problems as opportunities for more gospel-centered growth. Because in verse 7, the Word of God is increasing. Right? Now, it, is, it is rapidly increasing. So, we're not going to move too far away at any moment from Acts chapter 6 because it is the embryonic stages. But, I told you this week we would move over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that's what we're going to do tonight. If you'll make your way to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, the seven who did much more than distribute food pioneered the proclamation of the gospel to the Hellenistic Jews and Gentiles. And so the characteristics of a deacon are very elder-like. Do you know what I mean by that? When we read uh, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, it sounds a lot like 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, which is the elder qualifications. So when you read the deacon qualifications, they're very elder-like. They're not exactly the same because they're not the same position. But a pastor's leading is predominantly in the area of teaching. But it definitely extends to the shepherding and overseeing of the flock, whereas the number one priority in the life of a deacon is to serve, which is the root meaning of the word. Leading, of course, as pastors and serving as deacons, even though there's some overlap in leadership responsibility and administrative responsibility, those are the primary things we need to think about. So, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to point out just a couple of these tonight. Can't give them all to you tonight. We'll try to finish up next week. But we sh we're looking for faithful table servants, right? We're looking for deacons. We're looking for faithful table servants. And we learn from Acts that they need to be full of, of, of the Spirit and of wisdom. And we unpacked what that meant last week with a series of questions. Y'all remember that? We asked several questions about, uh, well, if, if the potential deacon needs to, to be full of wisdom. He needs to use that wisdom practically in life. And so when you get to 1 Timothy 3, there are some other qualifications that we see. And basically, the qualifications of a deacon calls for a man of God. Amen? 
It calls for a man of God. And in which ways? Or in what way? Beginning in verse 8. 1 Timothy 3. Are you all ready? Here's what it says. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. The likewise is building upon verse 7, which completes the elder qualification. So here Paul says, okay, Timothy, likewise, deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now just two verses tonight, verses 8 and 9. Here are the qualifications for... Uh, the qualifications of a deacon calls for a man of God. First way, be a man of character. Be a man of character. Reverent, dignified, sincere. I started looking at numerous translations to find out what is the best translation for this word. The uh, ESV says dignified. Uh, but that's the first qualification. Rendered worthy of respect in the NIV and in the uh, Christian Standard Bible is rendered worthy of respect. In the ESV, it's uh, dignified. In the New American Standard, it is men of dignity. The New King James Version says reverent. The NLT says they must be men who are respected. So I think the operative word would be respectability. That that particular man is a man of character. And it's, he's worthy of respect or respectability of him. Meaning, if you don't have good character, then you're not going to be respected. Right? And then it's going to begin to flesh out what that looks like with negative terms. Not double-tongued. Not given to wine. So respectability would be fleshed out in that manner. So not only should deacons be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, but according to this passage, it follows that the person, the man, should be respected. Dignified. I like the term sincere because sincerity reflects the character of Christ, doesn't it? Think about Jesus. He spoke, uh, our Lord never spoke with guile. He never shaded the truth. He never misled others. He didn't give you something for flattery's sake either. He was sincere with his dealings with men. If he was talking about their desperate need for Christ because of their sin... He'd shoot straight with them, right? He always dealt with men. He addressed uh, the fact that you can't be saved by self-righteousness. He dealt with the promise of eternal life. And he was straight in those dealings. He was always pure in his dealings with people. And that's exactly what's needed with a deacon. Someone who, is, uh, who walks in sincerity. Uh, when someone interacts with you. I think if you're not sincere, it's going to erode the trust. Right? So men that serve as deacons must have sincerity about themselves and respectability. God intends for people, for deacons to be people who solve problems. You see this clearly in the book of Acts. Men who solve problems. And sometimes in order to solve those problems, you're going to be in intimate knowledge of church members' relationships. What's going on in their lives, the, the ups and the downs. 
and not surprisingly then, respectability and sincerity uh, in a deacon goes a long way, doesn't it? Because you're going you're gonna to have intimate knowledge at times of what's going on. And even if the resolution is not necessarily what the person thinks it ought to be, uh, people will receive immense security when they know that you are a man that is respectable. That you are a man of sincerity. Those things are important. So the word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the life of this church. Uh, you say what you mean, you mean what you're saying, respectability is important. People both, people both inside and outside the church must be able to take a, deacon's, a deacon at their word. It's important. So that's the first thing, be a man of character. Second thing, be a man of consistency. Notice what the text says. Not double-tongued, a man of consistency. Uh, he's not the kind of man who says one thing to one man and a different thing to the next man that comes along. He's the kind of man that Will Rogers, you know, he's got some pretty good quotes. You ever read some of his? Will Rogers described this kind of person as not afraid to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you, if you're a double-tongued person, you don't want the parrot to go live with the town gossip, right? So one can trust this man. He's respectable because he's credible, and he's credible because he's trustworthy. Deacons must not be double-tongued. Another translation is two-faced. In other words, you're, you're engaged in double talk. You must mean what you say and say what you mean. You need to avoid the sin of flattery and always speak the truth in love. There are at least two ways that one could be double-tongued. First, you may say one, one thing to one person and another thing to someone else. That will be double-tongued. Or you may say one thing but do another. So either double-tongued or double-faced is the translation. So in either case, forked tongues make, uh, in either case, forked tongues make such people unreliable. And according to this text, unqualified to serve as deacons. You need to let your yes be yes. You need to let your no be no if you're going to serve in this capacity. Uh, the question we might ask, does the potential deacon have a reputation for keeping his word? Does the potential deacon come through with his commitments? You know, I've been in churches where uh, men lobbied for the position of serving as a deacon. And once they found out what it meant to be a deacon, uh, the commitment level, they wanted to jump ship. It wasn't what they, were thought, they thought it would be. I can't tell you how many. I, I, I certainly recall a couple of times when someone was nominated as a deacon, they became a deacon. They never once attended a single deacon's meeting. You know, I mean, that's a lack of commitment. So you need to know up front that you need to be a person of consistency. The good deacon should have a track record keeping his word. Does the potential deacon speak consistently to different parties? Think about this for a moment. When the setting is different and the circumstances are different, is he going to be consistent in what he says to one group versus another? Uh, we, we need to know that he's going to say the same thing. No matter what the setting is and no matter who the people are, he's going to be consistent. Uh, the Bible says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, whether you're a, a potential deacon or a deacon or just somebody who's saved, that's a good lesson for all of us, right? 
Let no corrupt speech come from us. We ought to clothe our speech in the greatest of virtues. And the greatest of virtues is? Have y'all read Charles Bible? We have faith, hope, and, and the greatest of these. I'm not gonna have to, I feel like Barney Fife trying to read everything off to you, right? Or Andy trying to read everything to Barney. Yes, the greatest of these is love. So you need to be a man of character. You need to be a man of consistency. And then you need to be a man of control. Well, that means not a drunkard and not greedy. The best way to translate this would be sober and content. Now, if you remember, I started off uh, the sun- last Sunday night talking about what a blessing it is to go into a restaurant and have a good waiter or a waitress. And I, I gave that kind of comparison between uh, what people ought to receive when they're members of this church when we have good waiters, deacons who take their responsibility seriously. They don't uh, harass people. They're not just doing it to, to get a bigger tip. Uh, they're, they're doing it for the glory of the Lord. Well, who wants to be waited on by a drunk person who badgers you for bigger tips or tries to convince you to order more so that the restaurant profits upon you? Having an intoxicated person fumbling around, breathing fermented drink on you as you order is not a pleasant experience. So Paul instructs Timothy and us that deacons are not to be addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. Like elders, deacons are to be sober and self-controlled. This is important. And they should not be people who take advantage of others for their own profit or their own benefit. It's interesting that the King James Version, uh, when it talks about elders... It said, well, when it speaks of elders, it says not to be given to wine, period. The KJV says that. Now, I have the ESV, and it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard. But the KJV for an elder says not, be, not to be given too much wine. So there's a difference here. Uh, Perhaps his elders drove the deacons to drink. You reckon? (laughs) In any case, in neither office should people be controlled or ruined by the grape. Also, deacons must be free of filthy lucre. I like what the KJV says at that point. Uh, Some of our modern translations try to make the disposition a little less strong. Kind of sounds bad to be guilty of filthy lucre, doesn't it? So the other translations will say dishonest gain. Uh, But I think filthy lucre is the best way to see it. Any man that's supposed to be protecting the body of Christ that has that kind of platform and then uses it uh, for his own profit, that's filthy lucre. And so we're reminded here that you're going to be dealing with vulnerable people, sometimes widows, sometimes people who are defenseless. And that's... uh, an area where you're going to have to be careful that you do nothing for your own gain or even for the material gain of the church where we think, well, make the church look better or give the church more money in the bank. That's a terrible attitude. And you're going to be dealing with benevolent situations as a deacon and what a terrible platform it is to give to someone who's going to exploit people for his or his own gain. Now, here's a few questions for observation. Does the potential deacon drink alcohol? And if so, have you observed him in such a way where he is so self-controlled 
where alcohol does not control his life? Is he, is he in a sense where he's causing a weaker brother or sister to fail? Now, alcohol is a big issue, isn't it? It is. There's no question about it. Uh, do, do I believe that drinking alcohol is a Christian liberty? Yes. But I think you're pretty foolish if you drink it. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's okay for me to be honest, right? And this means yes, this means no. I don't know a whole lot of people that are self-controlled when it comes to alcohol. Don't you? I wish that that could be true, but we're knuckleheads. And we're just addicted to things by nature. And I want to remind you that the alcohol we drink today is not the alcohol they drank then. It would take... Now, it was... Look, the Scripture says what it says. As a matter of fact, let me remind you of this. When it says in Romans 14, not to offend the weaker brethren, the ones who are drinking alcohol are the ones who are mature. And the ones who are... They're the, the ones abstaining are the ones who are the weaker. That is true. However, consider something. There is a massive difference between what is distilled today versus what they drank then. There's no question. Every scientific study has proven the fact that the amount of alcohol in that what they drank then was heavily diluted. That's why you had to linger long at the glass, according to the proverb, to become inebriated. It's not true today, folks. So I'm just telling you, uh, I would never refuse church membership of someone who drinks uh, in moderation. But in leadership, I'm just telling you, it's not a good idea. If you're a deacon or a pastor, I've never seen a good thing involved with it when it comes to alcohol. I just, I just haven't. I'm just telling you. We just went through a situation when dealing with a church where they were trying to call a pastor. And it, was, it came down to an issue of alcohol. What one believed, what another one didn't believe. And that's a tragedy, isn't it? Uh, for us to be arguing about something that's caused a lot of death and a lot of frustration and a lot of hurt. And so I'm just reminding you that uh, control is the issue. Causing a weaker brother to stumble. Would you be comfortable holding the deacon out as a model for how he should be responsible in use of or abstaining from alcohol? Much good is done in the life of others when they have leaders and they have teachers who model the ability to live free of addictions and compulsions. Does that potential deacon have the ability to say no to alcohol? Does he? That's something that's very important. How would you characterize this deacon in their use of finances? Are they a faithful giver to the local church? And I didn't say 10%. Why? Because for most of us, we probably ought to be giving more than 10%. Hello, Tokyo. Right? Because when you get over into the New Testament, it's, proportion, it's proportionate giving. As each man has been blessed, give. So for some, 10%... Maybe all that God intends for you to give. For some of us, it may be more than that because we have to look at what we have left over and what we're doing for the kingdom. And that's a hard issue. It is. But how does the person view finances? Are they a generous giver or are they a hoarder of money? We're looking for men whose resources are channeled and funneled toward the Great Commission, whose funds are channeled toward putting another flag on the hill for the Lord, whether it's the youth going to Louisville or... or we, we want somebody who, who stands up and says, yes, pastor, preach the word with fire and with integrity and with truthfulness. But also, we want our kids on the mission field. We want people in Guatemala. We want people serving Christ. Why? Because that's where we want to use our funds, right? 
does the deacon uh, get a little bit uh, unnerved uh, when uh, we talk about spending money? Does he, does he try to grasp onto it and say things like, well, we might need to keep about four, four or 500000 in the bank account at the church just for a rainy day? You know, folks, you know God's bigger than a rainy day, don't you? Right? You know, sometimes when you're in that kind of leadership position, it's easy to to look away from the God who gives us the abundance. And we think, oh, we can't meet this or we can't do this. We don't need deacons who are going to be tight-fisted, who have an attitude. Now, we need to be good stewards, and we, we, we push that at this church for a reason because it's important. But we can't be misers, and we surely can't sell our God short. Right? He can accomplish his purposes. So how does a person take care of their own finances? Do they kind of bump over the tax issue and say, well, I'm not going to pay all these? Well, that's not being a good example uh, to the community nor the church family. A person can be greedy for dishonest gain, either living in a hut or in a palace. Sometimes we think, well, it's only rich people who have the wrong mentality about money. No way. It happens in poor people, too. Uh, either one of them can have a bad issue. It's not, it's not whether you have money or, or you don't have money. It's what you do with it and what's your attitude. That's the issue of it. A deacon who knows how to be content in whatever situation he's in, uh, as Paul puts it in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, will be a tremendous model for this church family. What does Paul say in, in Philippians 4, 13? Yes, yes, I can do all things. I've learned in whatever condition I'm in, whether I'm up on a mountain or down in the valley, whether I have abundance or a little bit, I can be content. That's the kind of people we need. All right, one more. Be a man of consecration. In other words, you've got to know and live the Word. And you know me as a preacher. I love this one. Listen to what it says. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, they must hold the mystery of the faith. What does that mean? It means that you need to know and you need to live the Word. Have you ever asked a waiter or a waitress this question? What's the best thing on the menu? You ever, you ever taken that step? Yeah, I like doing that on occasion. I've done that. What, what do you think is good? Tell me what you would order if you worked here. If they kind of look at you strange, you know you've gone to the wrong place, right? And why do I do that? I mean, this can be a... Uh, this can be tomfoolery, right, on my case. If it's a, a blow-up, uh, culinary idiocy for me to try to do that, right, because it might blow up in my face. Other, but it could be a great thing. And why do I even try this strategy? Because I'm assuming that that waitress knows that menu better than I do. He knows perhaps what it is like for that cook to cook it back there, what he puts into it. And what about this? He knows... If the people he's serving are happy after they eat it. So I'm, I'm going to take that stab and see if it is, see what happens. Well, folks, the deacons at this church need to know what the product is. You need to know your product better than anybody else in this church. If you're going to serve as a deacon. You need to know the word of God. That's what we're trying to give out here. You need to know the word of God. You need to stand on the gospel of Christ. And you need to live it out in your life. You need to know the product. At this church, better than any waiter or waitress serving at a restaurant. You need to know why we're here and what we're doing. And I would say to you that in that regard, you're going to be doing practical things 
once we get this designed of how it's going to look and your task, and every deacon's going to have a task, once we get this designed like we think it ought to be biblically, uh, then it would be real easy for you to get tied up in the practical and forget what the product is. And that happens, doesn't it? I mean, it, it happens with a lot of ministers. You know, you get, you get into the grind and you forget what we're here for. You forget that we're here uh, to put the Word of God forward to the people, to be obedient to the faith, to take the gospel to the nations. So you need to be specialized in your skill. But you've got to have some theological prowess and understanding if you're going to serve as a deacon. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, this requires a steel grip on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would submit to you that this is on a cognitive level. When it comes to holding and living out the ministry, the, the faith, there's a cognitive level of this, a requirement. You need to give assent to the Lord's teaching as recorded in the Word of God. You need to believe the Bible from your radiator to your tailpipe, right? You need this cognitive assent that I'm going to believe the Word of God in its entirety. You need to understand the Bible claims. You need to be able to articulate it. You need to be able to explain, explain the cardinal points of what it means to be a Christian. How else can deacons be the kind of servants that point people to Jesus as they serve if they know nothing about what you believe or what we should believe? You've got to embrace your faith. So, the cognitive level, you've got to know it up here, but then you've got to have it in the experimental element, right? It's one thing to have it up here. It's another thing to, to have experienced it. Do you, give, do you give evidence of personal faith and belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and reliance upon Him for your salvation. We ought to be able, if you're a deacon, to demonstrate genuine repentance and faith toward God. Right? And the third thing, not only should it be cognitive and experiential, but you need to hold these truths with a clear conscience. That is, your life and your conscience must conform to the faith that you profess. It's not enough just to hold to the truths of the gospel and mental reserve but you got to live worthy of the calling that God has given you in this life. Right? So therefore, you know it cognitively. You've experienced it. You're not just believing a system. You're not just thinking intellectually about a system of belief. But, but you, it's moved to the emotive sense. And you rely upon Jesus. And then it's made a difference in your life. That's, kind of, that's the kind of table servers that we're looking for. We're looking for table servants who know the truth of God's word. Uh, they've experienced the truth of it. They have sufficient understanding to model it before others. And so in many, many churches, think about this, even ours, a lot of the deacons serve in a teaching capacity. And that's not by accident. <laughs> Just take a look at Stephen, right? He's going to do some teaching coming up, a lot of it. And then you have Philip, uh, who had the gift of teaching, no doubt about it. And when that happens, and you're in that teaching capacity, uh, you sure better know the truth and be able to to give that to Sunday school teachers, uh, to help them, uh, Sunday school classmates, to teach them to love Christ, profess Him, model those deep truths of the faith. But not every deacon is going to be a Sunday school teacher. You too need to be, uh, if you're not studying a lesson every week, you need to be in the Word, right? Whether you're teaching or not, and to learn what the Word of God says. This is the very congregation, this very congregation will find it necessary for the glory of God and the health of this church to find deacons who are mastered by the truth of God's Word and the gospel that it reveals.